Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you today. We're going to make progress into this season of Advent. We're going to talk about the second Sunday of Advent. These are the texts for December the 10th, 2023. Good stuff as we go over uh, somewhat familiar territory, but, you know, there's always a little something to dig out and talk about. So tell us what you got on your mind today, Bubba, as we think about preaching well, when I first looked at this, I was thinking about something I'd talked about, the flow of the Sundays. Each Sunday in mm-hmm. Advent has a different mm-hmm. theme. And uh, the first Sunday we just finished is the apocalyptic. And then this coming Sunday is sometimes known as prophecy, mm-hmm. or better, I think, the promise mm-hmm. of the Messiah. And the reason mm-hmm. I prefer promise to prophecy in this case is <clears throat> in Lutheran terms, we, you know, law and gospel, you know, is that law or is that gospel? Sometimes we think of prophecy negatively yeah. as law mm-hmm. and this bad thing's going to happen, you know, yeah. pointing the finger. Y'all been bad. God's about to come get you. Yeah. Thunder and all that. When really what this is about is the promise, and it's a hopeful promise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good news. Mm-hmm. Um, in Isaiah 40 and 3 and 9, one's prepare the way of the Lord. Here is your God. And in this case, it is a hopeful promise, yeah. you know, in the psalm. Uh, verse 9, salvation is at hand in Second Peter. Uh, regard the Lord's patience as salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, in um, Mark, uh, prepare in verse 3, one more powerful than I. Mm-hmm. And he's baptized you with the Holy Spirit. All of those are promises of the future one one note with that promise and i'll come back to it in the the psalm the word will Mm -hmm. nine times Ah. the the last few four or five verses i will do this it's a a strong word future Mm -hmm. so today is is a day about promise of the future um one of the questions then is you know we talked a little bit about bernard of clairvaux and i really like this this thing about three ways christ you know we talk about God coming. coming. One is in the flesh at Bethlehem. The second is in our hearts daily. And the third is in future glory, the second coming. And the question is, what impact does, number one, Christ coming in the past, and number three, God coming, Christ coming in the future, have on number two, Christ coming in the flesh Right in now. our day, de- every day, yeah. right. in our hearts, right daily. Mm-hmm. What impact does Christ having come 2,000 years ago and future coming mm-hmm. have on how we live our lives daily? Yeah. In Isaiah, it talks about verse 9, no fear. Verse 11, God is present with us. In Second Peter, what sort of person should we be <laughs> while yeah. we wait? And in in Mark, we talked a lot about repentance and baptism and implies life in the Holy Spirit. I think those are some interesting things. For me in particular, I think preaching 
for this second Sunday in Advent and talking about that promise. It has to it is relating those two coming past and and future that we talk a lot about in Advent. You know, Christ is, you know, we talk about Christ coming at Christmas and we bleed up to that and this is Christ is coming. And then we talk some about the second coming, particularly on the first day, the day of the Lord, but right. also today there's that implication. And the question becomes, yeah, okay, but what difference does that make uh-huh. in Christ coming daily? And I think this is a good day to say, what difference does all this make? We're going to yeah. celebrate. We're going to hang things on a tree. And mm-hmm. then, but what happens December 26th? You know, if yeah. you're, you know, if you don't, don't celebrate old Christmas and keep it up till Epiphany, if a tree goes out pretty quick and yeah. you're moving right on to that New Year's Eve party, what difference <laughs> does all this make? When you were a kid, you go, oh, shucks, a whole nother year till Christmas, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. what difference does it make? I like Bernard. I introduced that thought to my folks, and we'll kind of use it throughout yeah. because I really like that. We are preparing to rehearse, retell, celebrate yeah. the coming past, the coming yes. to the manger, to the world. We keep our eye on and keep aware of the coming future, coming yeah. again. But right now, Christ is coming once again to each of us, into our hearts and souls, Bernard talked about. Yeah. And it's, it's good stuff. So uh, an aside for today, uh, we have our first touch of uh, gospel in terms of the beginnings of the gospel. And yeah. Mark has no birth stories. This is the beginning, <clears throat> he says. And so the question is, uh, this is not something for the pulpit. This is something to just ponder <laughs> Why are there no birth stories in Mark? (laughs) And not really in John, but yeah. He doesn't know them. Hmm. He may not know them. Yeah. Uh, Maybe he knows them and discounts them, doesn't believe them. He's heard these stories, but he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Or the third one could be he knows them and believes them but doesn't think they're important Mm. to the proclamation of the gospel. Essential to the gospel. Essential. Now, I'm not coming with an answer. I'm just saying, if someone brings this up, Mm -hmm. the the answer is we don't know. We don't know whether he didn't know about them, he didn't believe them, or he didn't think they were important. Those are the only answers we've got. None of us there looking over Mark. None of us there looking over the author's shoulder. Mm -hmm. So... The fact that he doesn't include them, here's the point I want to make, doesn't mean you can't make an argument from absence that it didn't happen and it doesn't matter. It just means he chose in his telling of the gospel not Mm -hmm. to use them. That's all you can go from there. Yep. All right. Going to Isaiah 41 through 11. The, The good news trope that I've set up of this is a promise is set with the first word, comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says the Lord. Very important to notice the comfort and to notice the speak tenderly. Yep, the speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So so this is 2nd Isaiah. Um, 2nd Isaiah talks about waiting in exile. The city and state have been crushed. Um, Judah has been crushed. Then Jerusalem is crushed. The Davidic line has been deposed. 
everything that made the Israeli people the Israeli people, the Hebrew people the Hebrew people, has gone. Mm-hmm. All the externals have been removed. And it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. Crisis of politics and faith. It's a crisis of who are we if we're not this people in this land? Who are we if we're not God? If this is what being God's chosen people means, what what good is it? <laughs> Just think of everything you could think of in that context, and you'd struggle. And I identify here at this point. I grew up in a generation in which the very assumption that America, the United States, was a privileged and special land. American mm-hmm. exceptionalism was not even talked about because it was the water we breathed. You know, people would talk about there's no country like America. I remember relatives who served in the armed services and went overseas, various places they were based, and they'd come back and said, I was so grateful to be an American. And they'd mm-hmm. tell all this, you know, all this thing. You, you know what I'm talking about. So Absolutely. The last few years, as we look at variety of things from whatever way you look at it, and people are saying, we're just not the people we used to be. American democracy is not what it was. Mm-hmm. But we are not civil to one another. The country, we can't get the business of the country done. We, we at opposite ends and we can't talk. We can't get along. Uh, people are fighting and fight. I mean, from almost any political place on the spectrum, social, cultural people are lamenting the loss of who we were. Absolutely. In so many ways. And wondering if we'll ever be there again. I mentioned that to say, take that and realize that that we still have a country, we still have a government, we are still in charge of ourselves, as it were. Take all of that and then take it and just assume this country's been destroyed and wiped out. And this is where the people were. And yeah, words, yeah, there's a reason that this proclamation is good news. Every valley shall be lifted up. And they're walking through the valley. You know, this is a valley of shadow. Every mountain and hill will be made low. These obstacles that look like mountains made low. Uh, Every, all the uneven ground, you know, will become level. This places where it's rough will become a plain. That's, those are, are literal to them. Those symbols are powerful. Things were a mess. It was all gone. So the glory of the Lord will be revealed. revealed. And it will. And so second Isaiah circles around all you know from 39 through 55 mm-hmm. of the book of Isaiah is considered second Isaiah and it all circles around two main points over and over again repeated. God has not actually abandoned us mm-hmm. and God has forgiven us. Tied together. Those are two points that goes through there, and it says it over and over that God has not abandoned us, and God has forgiven us. So as we look at this, you separate out what four what we'll call voices who circle this two issues that Second Isaiah is working on. The first one is God talking and commanding the prophet to speak. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. So God says this to Isaiah, go and comfort my people who are in such pain. Speak tenderly to them. And then here's the forgiveness. She served her term. 
penalties paid. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She is, forgiveness is coming now. Then it says a voice. We don't know what that means. Could be an angelic messenger. Who knows? It's a not prophetic, visionary experience. But here's a voice, the first one. And this is the one that talks about preparing the way, a path. You know, prepare the way. Makes I, Every time I read that, I hear that, you know, that song, and I can't sing very well. Is it... Uh, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, the one from, is it Godspell or something? Indeed. Yep. Bake straight in the desert highway, every valley, you know, all of that language. Then the glory will be revealed. You know, it's this, 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 God has not abandoned us. This is the theme here. God's people shall see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's going to be revealed. He's not abandoned us. He's coming. We've got to make things straight. We've got to open up the way. Then we have the second voice coming in verses 6 through 8. Another voice that says, cry out. And then Isaiah responds, what shall I cry? Well, what you cry? All people are grass and they're constancy like the flower of the field. Basically, he said, God has not abandoned us. The word of the Lord lasts forever. Everything that's happened to you, comes. we come and go. Yeah. They are not forever there for a time but god and god's promises god's steadfast love and faithfulness as it's often said will last forever so then verses 9 through 11 this is when isaiah turns and speaks to the people okay he's got his message now Go to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Don't fear. Say to everyone, here is your God. The message is God's here. Don't be afraid. God is here. You've not been abandoned. Your sins have been forgiven. And the Lord's coming. His arm rules. So it sounds a little threatening. His arm rules. Then get this tender image at the end. He's going to take take you up in his arms, carry Mm -hmm. you in the bosom, and gently like a mother, lead him like a mother's sheep. He's going to take care of us. The comfort, comfort my people, the first Mm -hmm. line, and in the end, this is how the comfort happens. The image of comfort is is beautiful. One of the things I find so fascinating here is that they are asked to proclaim this gathered up and carried in restoration before it happens. Yeah, this is this is the already but not yet tension. Already we talk but about not yet. Sometimes it's not blab it, grab it. It's not <laughs> say it and it will happen. It. It's not it. yeah. we. It's not that we are in the instrument, and if we don't say it, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. It is have enough faith and confidence that God's promises are sure that you proclaim them before the physical evidence of their reality becomes yeah. before us. We are called upon for that. Yeah. Great stuff. And there's uh, you mentioned uh, God's Bell settings. A little fellow, a little uh, composer, let's see, what was his name? Handel, oh yeah, yeah. that uh, set these texts too. So yes. we'll see what makes it into the exit music for today. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, the, have, we'll spin the, the wheel. The popular or the classical, you know. 
You can see which <laughs> one go. I'm more familiar with. Huh. Um, you got all, Isaiah, then you come to the psalm. One, one reason it's picked is, uh, obvious one is uh, verse 13, will make a path for his steps. Mm-hmm. You know, the repetition of that theme, which will also be in the gospel. But I think more important is the use of the word will, and I mentioned that before. <clears throat> Verses 1 and 2 talks about the past, the remembering. You were favorable, you know, Lord, you were, you restored, you know. This is, come on, everybody, remember that whatever situation we're in, what God has done in the past. Mm-hmm. Then it moves to the future. Ten ten times, there are various, God will, will speak, will speak peace. His his, uh, steadfast love and faithfulness will meet, righteousness and peace will kiss, faithfulness will spring up, righteousness will look down, God will live. It's promise. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and in the setting of the psalm, it was written in, in for a period in which, for a, a celebration in which people are feeling that they have sinned. And this is kind of confessional. And this is the promise that of forgiveness and restoration. Yeah. There's a nice um, symmetry here, back with uh, Bernard's thoughts, the, yeah. the past, the present, future. Uh, Lord, you were favorable. You restored. You know, you forgave. You pardoned. Now, let me hear what the Lord will speak. Salvation is at hand, and then you've got all of these will. It will happen. It will do. The Lord will give. So you're you're really positioned in all three ways, right there. This is the constancy of God's action, and. You know, you're, you're thinking, if you are thinking about weaving all of these texts together into one sermon, makes sense when you when Peter says, now, with God, a thousand years like a day, and a day's like, <laughs> you know, the time is irrelevant the way we count it. So, in a way, God, God is doing all of these. You know, this has happened, it is happening, it will happen. It's God's Timing. Well, again, yeah, the homiletic question as you look at any of these texts is, so this is our past. Mm-hmm. This is the promise of the future. How do we live in honoring our past and anticipating our future mm-hmm. as Christ comes to us every day? Peter addresses some of this. Um, you know, the text begins with, but do not ignore this one fact. I always love things that start with, but, or hence, or therefore. You know, the question in in Second Peter is: Does God act in the world to save? If so, why hasn't God acted now? What What in the heck's going on then? Yeah, yeah. And chapters one and two of Second Peter, uh, for chapter uh, address the past. You know. And in chapter 1, he says, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to refresh for you. I'm going to help you recall. All of those are, you know, the past. God has acted. It talks about Israel's history in an interpretive way of ways God acted in these times. And so he establishes the first answer to the question. God does act in history. Mm -hmm. But the second part of the question, well, then why hasn't he acted now? Yep, And the answer that he comes with 
is God doesn't use the human calendar. <laughs> That's the first part of that answer. Uh, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. That's the first part of his answer. And then he says, and, and besides, the Lord's not slow about his promise. There's our key word for the day, mm-hmm. the promise, as some think of slowness. And here's his reason. I'm waiting on y'all. See, a theme throughout has been us waiting on the Lord. And Peter shifts it around and says, the Lord's waiting on us. The Lord is waiting for our repentance. The Lord is waiting for our action because God does not want any to perish. There's my creeping universalism pops up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my assumption that God is patient a thousand years is as a day and God's going to wait for the time is right for God when, when he can get all to turn and working on turning, getting all the children. So his answer is, God's not delaying, except the delay is an act of mercy. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, as verse 15 says. So then the other question for the day is, well, then how should we live? Mm -hmm. Since these things are going to be, what sort of persons ought you to be? Again, how does Christ act in your life daily? Mm -hmm. And as I read this, it basically says we wait by doing. We wait by being actively. That's uh, it. Actively Christian, if we can put it that way. Actively going about the business of living Mm -hmm. Christian lives, loving God and loving one another. God will show up when God shows up. And we wait mm-hmm. by, by doing. While you are waiting, he said, strive. Now, see, that's an active word. Work at it. Strive to be found by him at peace. Without spot or blemish. Now, there comes a concept. I said last week, pay attention. Uh, our uh, epistle reading last week used the word blameless, that you may be blameless on the day of Christ. Well, now here we come with a, this Parallel concept, striving to be without spot or blemish. Is that mean I, you know, I make a list, check it twice, and you find out who's naughty or nice kind of striving? Or uh, is it living into the Christ life, living into the peace that comes from Christ, the peace that God desires in reconciling the world unto God's self? And in so doing, we regard God's patience as salvation. That's an ongoing process that is always being worked out. And I'm not sure that my universalism is is creeping anymore as it is when when God <laughs> says, I'm going to work this out and, and not willing for one to perish, I, but all to come to repentance. And I see this salvation is continuing to be worked out. Well, I'm going to put the emphasis on God there. If God can be trusted, God can yeah. be trusted to do what God says. And so our waiting, tied to the waiting and the patience of God, is working to be at peace, working. Um, when I brought up blameless in my congregation this past week, I just said, there will come a day, this day of the Lord, this day of Christ, God's going to cast all the blame away. 
You know, we got plenty of blame. The reasons we fight, the reason we fuss, the reason we're at odds, we're always looking for somebody to blame. <laughs> it's not my fault. God will take away all the blame, and uh, so on and so forth. So it's a fascinating concept to work with, and I would invite you all a little deeper into that. Yeah. Yep. Regarding well, God's patience and salvation. Yes. Yes, and and the question of blame, who removes the who who makes us blameless? See, we look at that and say, "Oh, I've got to do something." To I've got to be blameless. blameless. And the real answer is, God removes God's the blame. Wipe the I blame. love the way you said that. God, mm-hmm. that's why we appear blameless because God has removed the blame the from blame. all of us. Well. Mark 1 through 8, John the Baptist Sunday. You know, I used to have, somebody <laughs> bought me uh, 30-some years ago a ham, camel's hair jacket, you know, blazer. <laughs> and I always wore it on the second Sunday in Advent with my, with my brown, dark brown slacks and my clerical collar, you know, with there my you camel's go. hair jacket. So, <laughs> uh, I never have been totally clear. Uh, why well, verse six matters, you know, <laughs> camel's True. hair, leather belt and eating locust and honey. It's just kind of, it's like one of those details that adds verisimilitude, I guess. But yeah, it's, uh, I want to say that we had a, we had a, a retreat, Advent retreat back in September and I'm using the same uh, printout of the text that I used then and made yeah. marginal notes. And I had a marginal note that just amused me and it was a good place to start, I think. It says, and this is literally what it says, five foot two Jew. Jesus <laughs> more Woody Allen than John Wayne. <laughs> That's something somebody said yeah. in our uh, workshop. Those- and I got thinking about it. Yeah, I got uh, those of you who were on the retreat, you'll have to re- say, what, was that me? Did I say that? Yeah. Did I say that? So I just had that written in the margin. I got to thinking about it, and it comes with verse 7, one who is more powerful than I is coming. And the question is, what is, I think it's key to the question, is what kind of power is coming? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the question that will flow throughout the Gospels, is who is this this masked man? Who is Jesus? And that great question, you know, from the old Lone Ranger, who was that masked man, is one we ask. Mm-hmm. And the Gospels is a revealing, a removing of the mask so that we will know who this person is. Mark begins by trying to tell us from the very first verse mm-hmm. who he believes this person was. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ is a Greek word for Messiah. Christ. And son of God is a Roman Empire term for the emperor. Is always applied there. So this is countercultural and upsetting to begin with. This is the Jewish Messiah who is also uh, the ruler of the universe in the way that mm-hmm. Roman Empire claims that the emperor is. Yeah. He is the son of God. And this is news. Yeah, th- this is a shot across the bow from the get-go. Yeah. This is yeah. people go, "Wait, what? Can you say stuff like that?" Yeah. Staking out the territory. And gospel here. 
good news. It was a term used for a military victory when the herald would come back and announce, Good news! The emperor, son of God, has conquered our enemies, mm-hmm. uh, the Persians or whomever. So what we have here from the very beginning is an announcement of a victory of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, over the whatever powers be that be in the world. That he's yep. this is now the Son of God, the Messiah has come. This is not innocuous. This is not to be li- listened to lightly. Mm-hmm. This is a very powerful expression. I, uh, Helmut Tillichy, a uh, German Lutheran theologian, made the comment, this would be like being at a rally for Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. And in a silent moment when everybody could hear you, all 30,000 in the stadium, standing up and saying, Jesus of Nazareth is really our Fuhrer. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you crazy? Thing. You can't say Same. that. You Are can't you say crazy? that. Yeah, you're going to get killed. So mm. he goes, he says, this is who this Jesus is. And then he starts building his case. Verse 2, he jumps into Hebrew scriptures, into promises and prophecies. He um, jumps in in 2 and 3 into this text we had from Isaiah and ties John the Baptist into the person who is coming to prepare the way. That's it. With verse 4, John the Baptist, baptizer, appeared in the wilderness. Uh, part of this is an ongoing project for the gospel, which is to differentiate between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. Because both of them began with the same message. If you look at it carefully, repent, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So he appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Again, Mark is closely packed here. Um, mm-hmm. Repent is to turn, to go in a new direction. Uh, forgiveness of sins uh, is usually tied to talking about confession, you know, sins. And so I was thinking about this the other day. The two t- ways that P- Lutherans in particular and some others talk use the word confess. One is to confess, and we think of that, well, of admitting your sins, your fault, I did your it. evil. Yeah. And then we turn right around and talk about our theology as the book of confession. We confess. The Augsburg faith. Confession, confession of faith. And what confess means is to state the truth. So to forgiveness of sins is to face the truth about who you are. I say it's with. It's not to beat yourself yeah. up. It's not to say I'm an awful human being and, you know, grovel and all that. It's merely to suddenly look at, to be able to look at yourself and say, this is who I really am. Yeah. I say with, I agree. I I confess. Yeah, yeah. This is the truth. And when that happens, what's going to happen? The reason that keeps us from admitting the truth is the fear of what will happen because the truth comes out. Mm Mm-hmm. Forgiveness. 
baptism, and in this case, the baptism uh, is not so much a cleansing from past sins, a washing away of sins, although that, that could be there. It's more in terms of death and resurrection. It has to do with signaling a new direction in the same way repent is turning in a new direction. All of them are tied together. You suddenly realize the truth that you're walking the wrong path. That gets forgiven. You turn in a new path. That's repentance. And baptism is Mm -hmm. an initiation of a new journey, a new person going in a new way. Mm -hmm. Beautiful stuff. And this is, again, tightly packed in Mark. But this is what this gospel is about. And then people say, and then, you know, you got this, I think, a throwaway line. People can get excited about it if they want camel's <laughs> hair and what he looks like. But he says, he said, now, at this moment, everybody said, okay, that solves it. You mm. know, and John, John said, we're no, good. No, no. Yeah. No, there's one more powerful than I is coming after me. I, I am not worthy. Mm moment this is the key what is this power about he says i baptized you with water as a symbol of what you've done as you are what we can do of going in a new direction he'll baptize you with the holy spirit and i think throughout the gospels it comes that issue of god's power living in us that's Whatever else it is, that's what the Holy Jesus brings, Mm -hmm. that godly spirit to be with us, that we don't have to do this on our own. It's not us proving. It's not us being blameless on our own. It's not us removing the guilt of our sin. It's not us rebuilding our country after it's been destroyed. It is God coming. Here is your God in your midst, in yeah. your life, living with you. Yeah. I think that the sort of throwaway line of camel hair, leather belt, locust, wild honey, I do think it serves sort of what we would call in our mindset, in our culture, this is kind of the uh, the rough, tough, rough Western image. This is John Wayne riding into town. This is, you know, that maybe John the Baptizer's yeah. a great big old guy. And everybody's like, whoa, yeah. And, and they do go and they're flooding in and they're being baptized and they're confessing their sins. Yeah. And then to your point, they think, oh man, I'm yeah. good. I'm so glad I made it. He said, oh, well, well, wait a minute. There's one coming that's a lot more powerful than me. I, I'm right. not even worthy to stoop down and tie sandals. And then to think of Jesus appearing, a five foot two Jew, more like Woody Allen than than John yeah. Wayne, and exactly. that that's going to be the whole thing. Who you know this 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 Savior, this Christ, this Messiah, not based on on physical presence or anything else. I'm f- concluding this study of Revelation with my folks, and the startling vision of the Lion of the tribe of Judah is announced, and they all turn, and what they see is a lamb that's been slain. Yeah. So appearances aren't everything, and I think John is uh, really helping us dramatize here. Just want to say, as we finish up, Bubba, uh, thank you for quoting Helmut Tilka, uh, but... 
That is not to be confused with Rick Moranis as Lord Helmut in Spaceballs by any idea. Okay, so... Okay, I would have never been confused about that, but I appreciate that. <laughs> My mind went there, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, that's not Well, it. he usually gets confused with Paul Tillich. Cause yeah, there you go. There you go. Pronounce the difference for us good English, <laughs> southern English speakers. So, Sounds good, man. Look, we'll be back. Uh, Advent 3 will be next week. The plot thickens and begins to yeah. turn. It's a lot of fun. So uh, hope you all are having a great season of Advent. Bubba, not much left for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Top of the Morning, performed by Track Tribe. We go out today with Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord, composed by Stephen and Sidney Schwartz. These are performed by the original off-Broadway cast of the musical Godspell. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord.